0: Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you're visiting Christ Church, we're glad you're with us today. My name's Mark. Uh, I have uh, the privilege of being one of the ministers here Uh, We're in the series called The Gospel, as Adam explained a little bit earlier, and this is just studying what the gospel means, what that concept means, and it's all founded on Jesus. It's not a proposition, it's a person, and what he came to offer all of us. And at the beginning of June, we started in this section, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Most people refer to it as the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' platform, if you will. Michael used the expression several weeks ago that it's a candidate's platform speech. This is what he was coming to do and uh, to introduce to us how to be a part of this kingdom that he was coming to establish, a kingdom that still prevails today and is growing all around us constantly. And so what does that kingdom mean? Well, one of the things that I want us to be very cautious of when we look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7 over the duration of this summer is that it's going to be really easy for us to uh, misuse this sermon by breaking it into bite-sized pieces. Jesus would have spoken this. It might have taken him an hour or so to have walked through this sermon and to cast this vision. And we're taking it in bite-sized pieces. And one of the negatives to doing that is it'd be very simple to take those bite-sized pieces and just pull one out and say, this is my favorite and let the others fall away. But this is actually a combined teaching of Jesus, what it means to be blessed and what it means to be someone in his kingdom. And when we look at that, it's a, it's a challenge for us not to segment it, not to say, okay, I have to do this, and then I have to do this, and then I have to do this. You see, John Ortberg has this teaching, and I've appreciated it in the past. He says, if you look at the way the world, when Jesus talks about who's blessed, who are those that are, that are in the kingdom, who are those that are treated by God and are living the good life, if you look at advertisement in our world today, you're going to understand the good life differently than we all do. In fact, if you do a survey of what's on television, if you have perfect wavy hair, white teeth, an attractive physique, a cool car, attractive friends, center of attention, if you're rich and you have a respectable job, then you have a good life. Jesus would disagree. Jesus said a good life is not predicated on any of those things. A good life is to be a person of character. A good life is to be even poorer and it doesn't matter, to be humbled by life and to have something to live for, to, to mourn over the evil in the world and understand that there's hope in the good. Jesus casts a completely different view of what a good life is. As a pastor, I have the privilege and the honor to be asked by families to speak at funerals. And I know people think, well, pastors are supposed to do that. Not necessarily. So when someone says, would you come and speak one of the parts of a funeral, that's very, very important. In fact, It's sacred is the eulogy. A eulogy is the moment where we talk about the life that's being honored, the life that's being remembered. And I've stood many times right on this particular spot on this stage and spoken as a casket sits right in front of me, a life being remembered and honored. And I'll tell you what, when I do a eulogy and the number of funerals I've been to that I wasn't performing, I'll tell you this, I never heard one person in a eulogy talk about how white their teeth were, or how cool their hair was, well, How cool their friends were. What kind of vehicle they had. How much money they made. It's never mentioned. You know what's mentioned? Were they a good person? Did she love her family? Was he kind? Was, were they generous? Were they thoughtful? Were they ethical? Were they moral? The world tells us that you're evaluated. The good life is by how much you have. And Jesus says, no, the good life is who you are. And I think we all realize as Christians that the good life is also premised on who you belong to, who's in your life, who's investing in you, and what that looks like. We can't forget Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, and, and I may allude to it every time I talk about the Sermon on the Mount, because this is the fulcrum moment in Jesus' teaching. Michael talked about it four weeks ago. But I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, Now, it might be easy for us to look at that text and go, he's taken the Pharisees and scribes to the woodshed. No, he's not. You see, if you would have chosen the elite believers, the elite religious people in the culture, you would have chosen the scribes and the Pharisees. They lived out their life. They were doing the right things. They were going above the right things. They were above reproach. And Jesus is telling us that unless yours surpasses that of them, and all of a sudden we panic and go, I can't do that. Yeah, you can, because here's the difference. The Pharisees and the scribes did things without any heart. They did actions so you would think well of them. They had the appearance of being noble and upright and just, But deep inside, they were no different than the world. They were doing it so the world noticed them, not in honor of what God was giving them. Jesus said, unless you surpass that, unless the why overtakes the what, you're not a part of my kingdom. In fact, the text we're going to talk about today is really simple. It would take me five minutes to explain it. I know you'd love a five-minute sermon, but come on, I've been gone for a month. I'm wound up. We got to get this out of me, right? So if you look at this, the what, it takes five minutes. The why will take the rest of your life. To surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees is going to require more than action. It's all based on attitude. It's all based on engagement. It's what Michael said a few weeks ago when he said we have to, you know, live out loud from the inside out. And when he created that, you know, live inside out loud... He's telling us that to be what God wants you to be, to live this righteousness out, Jesus is saying, I don't want you to just do things. I want you to become something. I want you to enter into my kingdom fully. I want you to live your life in honor and in in dignity. I I want you to be the person I've called you to be, not just do religious things. And for many of us sitting here this afternoon, you're going to have to look at it and ask yourself the questions you think about it this afternoon. You have to say to yourself, am I... Am I doing the what without the why? Because that's what Jesus has called us to consider. And if you look at what we've been talking about, and I'm so grateful for Michael DeFazio and Jim Dalrymple who preached excellent teaching over the last month. In fact, the last two weeks, I think I had to get credit for being smart enough not to be here when we talked about lust and divorce. Can I, I mean, does that make sense? It's a wise man who's gone then. But for Jim to come in at the last minute and teach that wonderful teaching on lust and what that means, and for Michael to teach such a passionate, hope-filled message on what happens when there's divorce, if we connect it to what Jesus said, it makes so much more sense to us. You see, Jesus is saying it's not just what you do, it's why you do it. About the efforts of a person who values others too much to use anger to show to show contempt and disdain toward another human being. Jesus said that person is not only overcoming their anger, but the why behind it matters. Or as Jim talked about, the efforts of a person who values someone else too much to treat them as if they are here to sexually satisfy any of us, to limit a person to their sexuality rather than who they are in their soul. Or as Michael said last week, or someone who values others too much to disregard a covenant that you've entered into. And I'd like to pause for a moment and just say this as an encouragement. Having listened to Michael's teaching from last week twice, I, I just want to say something as a pastor. For those of you that are struggling, you are divorced. It happened. You didn't want it. it you're, it's, it's just a part of your story now, and it's hard. Don't do this alone. Don't recoil and hide and protect yourself. Listen, listen. You're to live out this kingdom in community, and that's why we're all here together today, is to encourage those of us who have had things happen in our lives that we didn't choose and didn't want and now regret. We have classes like Divorce Care. We have Haven Counseling that can sit down and help you process this in community by the truth of God's word. Don't fight through broken relationships by yourself. Seek help. Seek community. It's exactly what God wants you to do. You see, what we're learning is not just the what to do, as if Jesus was giving us a new set of rules, he's actually inviting us into something that's bigger than that. He's inviting us to a kingdom where the value of all persons is a core value of any kingdom person. I want to say that again. Where the value of all persons is a core value of a kingdom person. So Jesus stresses this. He he challenges them. And in verse 33, he continues on in talking about the what and the why. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. Seems pretty simple. Jesus says, you've heard it said long ago. He's actually referring back to the Ten Commandments. And I just want to continue. I'm going to keep dropping this little thought until it becomes a seed that grows inside of each one of us. For those of us who dismiss the Old Testament as a book that's no longer relevant, please understand Jesus made it relevant because he used it to teach his kingdom ethic. He, didn't, he said, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. I'm showing you how to surpass the legalistic approach to being a believer, to just doing things. So he refers to it. He said, you've heard it long ago. Well, where did they hear it? They heard it in the Ten Commandments. Look at Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. And then verse 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Jesus is challenging us that our words matter and how we use our words form us. Not only do they form us, but they form the people you're using your words on and with. You see, the kingdom ethic values all people, not just yourself, and our words matter. One of my favorite stories about the use of truth is a true story, because it was in the Reader's Digest, and that makes it true, about four high school boys who were late to school and missed their first hour class, and they missed an exam. And they came to the teacher and they told her that they had a flat tire on the way to school and why they were late. The teacher said, Well, you did miss the exam. She said, But if you had a flat tire, that's fine. I'll let you take it, but you need to take it right now. And so the students, she put them in the four corners of the room away from each other. She gave them paper and she said, There's only one question on the exam which tire was flat? Those four boys lied. And they failed that exam that day because they decided that a lie is okay if it protects me from what I want to be protected from. When Jesus says, do not misuse your words, do not take an oath you don't intend to keep, he's saying, let the truth be the truth. So is our life characterized by integrity? When I was a little kid and I'd be telling a story, and you know, it was never a lie, it was an exaggeration, an embellishment, it was a lie. My grandmother was just unashamed to call me out and she'd say, I think you're fudging the truth. I had no idea what that expression meant. Then I found out in some research. In England, nearly 300 years ago, there was a merchant commander named Captain Fudge. And he was so famous for telling stories that never happened, where he was the hero of every one of them, that it became a custom in England when someone was exaggerating to say that they were fudging the truth. And so today I wanna talk to you about the times that you and I embellish, exaggerate, practice hyperbole, And we're always the hero of every one of those. Jesus said, why? You see, the sermon is simple. Don't lie. Don't lie. Why? Because you're better than that. And the people you're lying to deserve more than that. You see, when Jesus tells us not to do something, it's not because he doesn't want us to have a good time. It's because we harm ourselves and we harm others when we do this. Remember, the ethic is to care as much about others as you care about yourself. So what is the significance of our words? Jesus makes it simple. In verse 33, I'd like to read it again. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. Pretty simple. It, it's founded on three or four Old Testament texts. Let me give you some examples. Leviticus nineteen twelve: Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. I want to pause here for a moment. I don't know about you, but growing up, I always thought that meant you couldn't use the granddaddy of all obscenities. But I hear it a lot in our conversations today. It's just, it's very flippantly, oh my God, people say that. And I remember being a kid going, oh, I just broke the ten, one of the Ten Commandments. And to a degree, that's correct, but it's not complete. What the Old Testament was teaching us was don't use God to abuse somebody else. Don't make a promise in God's name that you don't intend to keep as if God gets drawn into your deceit. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. When you speak of God, it only should speak of truth. Amen? There shouldn't be any deception, coercion, manipulation, hiding the truth. So the commandment is, if you're going to speak God's name, it should be with integrity and uprightness and what's best for everybody involved. Numbers chapter 30. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Deuteronomy twenty three twenty one: If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Our words matter. And if they don't matter, then we don't matter. So he's saying, if you're going to place an oath, and placing an oath isn't wrong, Anymore is what we've learned so far. That if we are to live this inside out loud life, starting from who we are, the why becomes the what. If we're going to live that life, as Michael talked about, then when we become angry with someone, and we will become angry, being angry is not wrong. Being attracted to somebody physically is not wrong. Having relational difficulties is not wrong. Jesus speaks about real life. He never says, Don't become angry. He says, When you're angry, don't show contempt. Don't show disdain. Don't treat someone as worth less than you. And when you see someone you're attracted to, don't turn them into a commodity. You can't help that you're attracted by certain things, but don't turn that into some creepiness where all of a sudden you begin to wonder, How could I use them? Instead, value who they were. And when you have relational difficulties, instead of assessing it always on what I'm not receiving, look at them as a person of value to keep that covenant and go deeper into your love rather than the surface sensations of love. So, when it comes time to telling the truth, and it's hard, use your words and use them well. You see, our righteousness is developed as we handle the truth truthfully. This is what we need to learn. We grow as we allow the truth to be true instead of hiding it. Well, the second thing I want to say this morning about that is if that's the truth, then here's the why. Why do we lie? The appearance of the truth to hide itself. Why don't we tell the truth? I'll confess to you, I struggle with this all the time. It's just an instant reaction for me. This isn't an excuse. I've I've conditioned myself for this. If you see me a way I don't want you to see me, I have a tendency to lie. If, if, you, if you see me in a certain way and I want you to see me in a certain way, I'll play to that lie too. It's, it's either both. Either I don't want to be seen as less or I want to be seen as more and it's tough to deal with the truth because I know I'm not that guy and I know I'm not that guy but you think I am, so how do I fight this? I read somewhere recently that there's 19 different ways to lie some of them are flat and noble. You might lie to benefit others. How does this dress make me look? (laughs) You might lie to avoid conflict. You might lie to avoid an invasion of privacy. You might lie to appear better. You might lie to protect yourself. You might lie to harm someone else. Not all lies have an evil intention, except they come from the evil inside each one of us. Because we don't believe the truth will set us what? Free. See, Jesus said, No, the truth will set you free. And we say, Yeah, but if I tell the truth, I could lose my job. That's not what he was talking about. He wasn't saying, Oh no, the truth will protect you and keep everything you have. No, he said, the truth will free you what? From being a liar, from lacking integrity from taking advantage of others, for feeling like you have to protect an image that's not true. The truth will set you free. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, Jesus said, But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Jesus said, Why do we feel the need to not tell the truth? You see, in oath-taking, let me explain a cultural thing that I've been taught, is that the closer they got to God, the more seriously they expected you to take the oath. So they would pray by the throne of heaven, or they'd pray by the altar in the temple of the Holy Holies, or they'd pray by the outer court, or they'd pray by the the tablets. They would pray by these things. We often do it today, even in our culture, which is incredibly ironic today, that if you go into a court of law and you're going to testify, what do they ask you to do? They ask you to place your hand on the what? Which is funny, which is inadmissible in most courts. But they'll ask you to put your hand on a book of truth and make what oath? I will tell the what? The truth. It's ironic. I'm so glad we do it because it would mean a lot to me. But Jesus said, you make these oaths. And he said, how about we not do that anymore? How about you choose to just let the truth be the truth? Now, that doesn't mean you the truth is a bludgeon. The Bible says we preach the truth with love. There's a mixture of grace and truth. You know, I asked my, my uh, grandma one time, because we were having a discussion about lying, because she busted me. And I said, well, what if someone asked me if they're ugly, and they're ugly? And my grandmother looked at me, and uh, she gave me some of the greatest advice. It's so simple, yet so profound. She looked at me, and she said, not every question needs answered. It's like, dang, that's good. So someone goes, am I ugly? Why? It's a beautiful day today, isn't it? And I didn't lie. You see, one of the reasons, the why behind why we lie is our selfish natures Natures want to destroy or distort the truth. Our selfish natures want to distort the truth. We don't want to deal with the truth because we can't control it. And many times we don't tell the truth because it helps us manipulate and control other people. And Jesus says, don't. Let your words matter. So let's close with this today. When our words reveal our hearts, what do we do when our words reveal our hearts? Look at verse 37. Here is the what and the why. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. See, what I love about Jesus, he's right to this. He says, you know, you and I know why we lie control, protection. We don't trust that the God of the universe will protect us if we tell the truth. And I know for some of us, if we told the truth, it would reveal years of deceit. It would would reveal years of taking advantage of a situation. Jesus said, do you trust me? How about you let your yes be yes and your no be no? How about you live within the truth and allow the truth to be your protection? In James 5, 12, James would write the same thing to the early church. Above all, brothers, don't swear, neither by heaven nor by earth nor un- any other oath. Let you yes be yes and then no be no that you may not fall under condemnation. Wow, that's a pretty serious statement. James says God takes what we say seriously. It's the same James who earlier in his same letter to the church said, man, the tongue is the most destructive thing in your life. Jesus says it, it's from the goodness of of who we are that we speak the truth and it's from the evil in us that we withhold the truth. Look with me at Luke chapter 6 verse 44 and 45. Jesus will say this to his disciples. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart for out of the overflow of his heart his mouth speaks. So the what is... Tell the truth. The why is because our hearts are hard and our hearts are evil and we protect ourselves regularly at the expense of those we say we love. Jeremiah 17:9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Proverbs 23:23 23, 23, Buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. I love that proverb. Don't play with the truth. Don't manipulate it. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, in a passage where Paul's writing to an early church, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Why? As to what? Therefore, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Why? because we are all members of one body. The ethic that Jesus is talking about is we, from the inside out, don't use people for our advantage. We don't use them sexually. We don't use them through covenants. We don't don't use our anger against them. We don't try to control, manipulate, and abuse. And we certainly don't use our words to control and manipulate other people. We open ourselves to the truth because Jesus said, I am the truth. He also said, I am sending you the spirit And this spirit is the spirit of truth. You see, if you take this one teaching and you pop it out of this sermon, it's a sermon about not lying. If you leave it in the sermon of the kingdom, you'll understand that Jesus has to do a work in us, doesn't he? And he said, those of you that do not surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees, you appear to be good people, but deep inside, there's no why. Why? You're simply doing it for the applause you get, for the status you get, for the manipulation you're allowed to have. He says, No, you won't be a part of my kingdom because you're not living out the kingdom. See, the world says the blessed person is the person who has all of this. And Jesus said, No, the blessed person is the person who realizes he has nothing without Jesus Christ. And when he has Jesus, he has hope, he has a future. So, liars, it's good to be back with you. Because I feel right at home. I need a work of God in my heart. How about you? I need forgiveness. I need grace. I need strength. I need trust. I can't find those in white teeth and obviously a full head of hair, the right car, and money. I can only find them in Jesus Christ. said, you're part of my kingdom when you allow me to be your everything. Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Today's a day of repentance, church. It's a day for us to tell the truth. Not every question needs answered. Smile, be gracious. But if the truth can set you free, then we need to trust the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together.